the Bible. Is it just one book among many books? Is it just another religious book? Or is there something unique about the Bible? Is there something about the Bible that separates it far above all other so-called religious books? Well, my friends, on to... Today's edition of Contenders Radio, we are going to talk about the Bible. And I want you to know right now that I believe the Bible is God's Word to us. I believe that its original manuscripts are free from errors, free from contradictions. I believe it was written by human authors, but under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. And because it's inspired by God, I believe that it is the truth without any mixture, without any error. The Bible is the one and only infallible, authoritative, and trustworthy rule for faith and life. The Bible is the supreme source of truth for Christians' beliefs and Christian living. That's what I believe, folks. And let me tell you this. Whether I believe it or not, and whether you believe it or not, doesn't make it true or false. That's just the truth about God's Word. And we're going to discover why and what separates it from all others on today's edition of Contenders Radio. The friends and partners of Kevin Inman Ministries present Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. Pastor Kevin is committed to equipping you to earnestly contend for the faith. For more information on Pastor Kevin and Contenders Radio, please visit our website at www.kevininman.org. That's www.kevininman.org. To today's edition of Contenders Radio. I'm your host, Kevin Inman, and on today's show, we are talking about the Bible. You know, the Bible is unique. The Bible is different from every other so-called religious book on this planet. The Bible, in fact, isn't one book. It's a collection of 66 different books written by 40 different authors on three different continents in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, over a, a period of about 1,600 years. In spite of all that, being 66 books, three continents, 40 people, three languages over a 1,600-year period, it is consistent throughout and it tells of the history of a chosen people it tells of the God that created everything the God whom appointed to bring forth the Messiah Jesus Christ you see the Bible is a unique book it is full of wisdom and full of truth it is the most published book in the world and it contains some pretty amazing facts too some some uh, just outright um, ridiculous if if there's no God but but nonetheless they are stated as truth and they are truth such as Methuselah this guy who lived 969 years in Genesis chapter 5 look around verse 27 also it tells us that a man was spoken to by a donkey in Numbers chapter 22 that the sun stood still for a whole day in Joshua 10:13 that the ocean an ocean was parted when Moses put his staff into the water that a storm was calm when Jesus rebuked it those are some pretty amazing facts and if the god of the bible's not true those facts are just 
ludicrous. They are absurd. But the Bible is true. It is accurate scientifically. Now, the Bible doesn't claim to be a science textbook. However, it does not ever contradict known science today. It's says that the earth is suspended in nothing in Job 26 verse 7. It speaks of the existence of ocean currents in the sea, Psalm chapter 8 verses 1, 3, 6, and 8. It says that the stars are innumerable, Genesis 15, 5, and, and there are many, many more such facts. The Bible nowhere contradicts true known science. It also teaches some amazing things. It teaches some outright amazing things and some things that separates it from every other religion on this planet. In fact, you know there, there's an estimated 3,000 different religions in the world today, all of which claim to be the way to eternal life or eternal happiness or, or heaven or Shangri-La, whatever their understanding of paradise or heaven might be. It has often been said that each of them provides a different path to the same end and that men are free to choose the path that best suits their own disposition and culture. But the Word of God, my friends, is insistent that this is not so. The Bible teaches some very unique things, yes, and also some amazing things and some things that separate it from all other religious books. One such thing is this. You see, the Bible insists that the God of the Bible is the only true God. Let me say that again. The Bible insists that the God of the Bible is the only true God. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 6 says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Also in Isaiah 45 verses 5 and 6 the Word of God says this, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, uh, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. That's Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. You see, the Bible is insistent that there, there aren't many gods. There is one true God. There is only one true God, and it is the God of the Bible. All other gods we read later in scriptures are nothing but demons. Nothing but demons. There is only one true God, the Lord God Almighty. The second thing the Bible insists upon is that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. We've talked about that a lot on this program. You, you know if you're a regular listener. But I want to remind you again that the Bible is different from others because it insists that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Jesus said so in John 14, 6. The Word of God says this, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's not saying that there are many ways and that he's one of them. It's pretty clear. It's very clear, actually. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No other, no one comes to the Father any other way. Only through me is what Jesus is saying. And the Bible proclaims that over and over, that there is no way to God except through the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one that paved the way. He is the one that made salvation possible for everyone who would believe. 
So the Bible teaches that there is one and only true God, and it's the God of the Bible. The Bible insists that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. You see, all other religions, while stressing their paths, their methods of, of obtaining eternal life or, or salvation and, or, or, or uh, nirvana, whatever their particular definition may be, they all stress that you have to do something. They are all works-based. There's always some contingency that you have to fulfill... In order to make it to eternal life or to their ideal of heaven. But the Bible insists that Jesus Christ is the only way. And we'll come back to that um, shortly. The third thing I want you to see that's unique about the Bible is that the Bible teaches a unique plan of redemption. It reveals a unique plan of our salvation, of our being redeemed, being made right before God. You see, it reveals a very unique Savior, a very unique Savior. Let's spend a little bit of time and let's look at why Jesus is the only way and what makes Jesus such a unique Savior. The first thing we'll talk about is this. Jesus was born of a virgin. That's right. Jesus was born of a, vir of a virgin. It sounds ludicrous. It sounds preposterous. But the Bible declares it, and history has indeed proven it, and will continue to prove it, especially at the second coming of Christ. When all will know. In fact, at that second coming, the Bible says, every knee one day will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They will all recognize that He is indeed the unique Savior that was spoken of throughout the Scriptures. And again, one of those areas we, we see is that He was born of a virgin. In fact, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 declares the fact that He would be born of a virgin. In fact, um, the book of Isaiah was written uh, years and years ago. In fact, at least six, seven hundred years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So listen to what Isaiah says. He says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. She will give him the name Emmanuel. It's, it's really a title. It means God with us. So Jesus was going to be God with us. Now, we see that this is fulfilled uh, later on at the birth of Christ, about six, seven hundred years, six to seven hundred years later in Matthew chapter 1, where the Word of God says this. Now, we're starting in verse uh, 18 here. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The Word of God says this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So, um, there's, there's no ex explanation necessary there, right? Before they had... Um, had uh, come together. I, that's that's enough. You, you got me. You, you're with me. So she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. You see, he thinks something was going on, that there was some hanky-panky, I guess, uh, if you will, going on behind his back. But he was a good man, a, a, a godly man, a righteous man, the Bible says. And so he did not want to publicly disgrace her or even make her... Um, uh, have to suffer the consequences of this supposed infidelity by being stoned. So he was going to secretly send her away so as not to bring um, shame to her. 
Verse 20, But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And it's speaking of the prophet Isaiah. Here's why we know that. Listen. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. That's Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. You see, Jesus was born of a virgin. He was virgin born. That's one of the things that separates Jesus from all others. He was born of a virgin. Now, there are critics who say that you know Christianity borrowed from pagan myths. And, and th that is just absurd. It is absurd when you look at the correlations between these things. And even the timing and the dating of when these supposed um, um, mythologies developed. You can see clearly that they are either fabricated twisted, distorted, or they have been um, borrowed, or actually they, they ripped off the true gospel account, the true biblical account. You see, these alleged similarities are nothing but exaggerations and even fabrications. Even fabrications. And there are um, Mithra legends, you can Google that later if you want to, um, that, that are out there that develop these mythologies that develop and there are similarities between Christ and this Mithra fable but the Bible is true the Bible is the true record of of the virgin birth all others are borrowed or are distorted you know Satan's not a fool he's not an idiot he, he's smart enough to know that he can discredit God if he can create enough counterfeits to do so. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Satan is the father of lies. And he's behind mythologies and fables. He's trying to deceive the world about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our unique Savior. He was born of a virgin. And on an upcoming program, we'll talk specifically more detail about this whole idea of the virgin birth. But the second thing that lets us know that Jesus is a unique Savior, the Bible, you see, reveals not only that he was born of a virgin, but that he lived a sinless life. That's right. Jesus was born of a virgin. He had no human father. Joseph was basically his stepfather, if you will, in today's vernacular. His father was God, but he also lived a life free from sin. Hebrews chapter 4 describes this very idea. Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let me repeat that part. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And then verse 
16 goes on to say this, Therefore, let us draw near with the confidence, with confidence rather, to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, it's describing for us the fact that Jesus Christ, the God-man, God incarnate, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ lived in this earth, lived upon this earth, he did so without sinning. He was tempted in all areas as we are, yet without sin. Now, major areas of temptation, I mean, he wasn't tempted to steal a car because there were no cars during this day. So don't, don't fall for some, you know, absurd argument such as that. But he was tempted in all fashions, all areas as we are. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Every sin category or every sin uh, detail really can fall into those categories of sin. And he was tempted in those ways, and yet he was without sin. So our Savior is unique. The Savior that the Bible declares and proclaims and teaches is unique. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. A third thing we see about our Savior, about Jesus is this, that he taught as no other man taught. That's right. Jesus Christ taught as no one else ever taught before him and as no one else will ever teach since. He taught in a very unique way. John 7:46. the officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Matthew 7, verses 46 and following. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You know, it's not... Today, we may raise our voice or, or, or know a whole lot about the Bible or, or the topics of theology and, and, and um, salvation and, and, and all these other things. But listen, Jesus taught with a, an authority that's unique and far above any other authority. It doesn't matter who it is that's preaching or teaching today. Be it John MacArthur, um, who is a great Bible expositor and teacher, or if it's some, you know, some other young Yahoo, like Rob Bell, who, who doesn't even believe the Bible. It doesn't matter how skilled of a communicator there is today. There is still no one who can preach and teach with the authority that Jesus had. He taught as no other. Why? Because he himself is the word of God. Do you get that? Jesus himself is the word of God. So of course he's going to be able to teach it and to proclaim it, to declare it in a way that no one else can. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. It goes on to tell us in verse 14 of John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. We beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace, and truth. You see, the Word became flesh. That's what the incarnation is all about. The virgin birth was all about. The Word of God, Jesus Christ, became flesh. He took on flesh. He added to His, His Godness, His, His God essence. He took on a new nature. 
The hypostatic union. He was 100% God. He's 100% man. The unique God-man. And he taught the Word of God because he was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and following. So don't ever forget that. There may be great pastors and preachers and teachers today, but... No one compares, no one teaches the way Jesus Christ taught. He taught with authority because He is God. Also, we see not only was He born of a virgin, not only was this Savior that the Bible speaks of, this unique Savior, this unique way of redemption, not only did He live a sinless life and teach with authority in a way that no one has ever taught, but He also died a unique Death, And not just any death, but a unique um, volitional death. He died of his own accord. He allowed himself to die. couple passages I want you to, to get. And I want you to listen. Really get this. Listen to this in John 10, verses 17 and following. For this reason, the Father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. That's John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. One more time. Jesus says what? For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So Jesus died a unique volitional death. He gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He gave his life. He wasn't a weak, meek, helpless Savior. He was God. And he gave his life for humanity. So he died this unique volitional death. Look at Luke 23, verse 46. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. That's Luke 23, verse 46. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm dying. I'm giving my life right now. That's what Jesus did. And the Bible declares that unique, willful death on the part of this unique Savior. This, this unique way of salvation that was offered for us. Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, taught as no one else taught, and gave His life willfully of His own accord to die in our place, paying the price for our sins. He died a willful death, and then he had a unique victory over that death. This is where the rubber meets the road, right here. You know, so many people um, celebrate Christmas, and there's controversy surrounding the, the pagan origins and who borrowed from who and, and whatnot, and, and that's for another show entirely. But listen, I will say this. The Bible nowhere tells us to celebrate the birth of Christ. I mean, we can recognize the fact that God becomes a man, and that's wonderful. But just because Jesus was born in a manger does not save us. You see, he died. He lived a perfect life, born of that virgin, lived that sinful life, taught as no one else offered his life willfully to die for us, but then he rose himself from the dead. That's where 
that's where it's at, my friends. That's the proof that's, um, that's in the pudding, so to speak, as we say down here in southeast Texas. He had a unique victory over death. Acts 17.31 it says, He has fixed a day in which He will judge the world. God will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising Him from the dead. You see, it all comes down to the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the proof that God declares because He raised Jesus from the dead. He has decided now to judge the world in righteousness through Jesus Christ, the one, remember, born of a virgin, lived the sinless life, taught as no one else, died on a cross willfully, but then rose again from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 8, here's the gospel in a nutshell. It says this, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He has appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and to the twelve. And that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now. What he's saying is that, that they're still alive. Most of those folks are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, he says. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, the Bible declares, the Bible proclaims that Jesus Christ, this virgin-born, perfect, sinless life, teaching with authority as no one else taught, giving his life willfully on the cross, and then raising himself from the dead, teaches that that resurrecting power, the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, separating, showing that we have a unique Savior, a unique Savior. And you see, my friends, that's not where it stops, but the Bible goes on not just to declare this fact, not just, not just to declare this truth about Jesus, but it goes on now to demand a unique salvation. You see, other religions, as we mentioned earlier, require some form of work, some kind of participation on your part, on my part, in order to be saved. But the Bible is unique. The Bible says that it's all about what Jesus has done on the cross. That's different, my friends, from every other religion. As we've said a number of times on this program before, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, done. John 19, verse 30, Jesus, when he breathed his laugh, last on the cross, remember he said, it is finished. What was he talking about? His life was finished? No, because he's eternally God. What he was saying was that the work, the requirement of salvation is done. You see, a price had to be paid for sin. Why? Because perfect holiness is required. Romans 3, verses 10 and following tell us, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their past, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And it goes on to pick up in verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. You see, God demands perfect holiness. There is no good work that we can do. There's nothing that we can add because as Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 6, that all our righteous deeds are as filthy garments, bloody rags. You and I need this unique salvation that comes from Jesus Christ because Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve, what we earn with living this life is a, as a life of sin, which it is. All of us born into sin, none righteous. We earn death. But, and this is a great but right here in the Bible, always pay attention in scriptures where you see B-U-T, when you see that word but, because God's fixing to blow your mind. He says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it doesn't say it's in Christ Jesus our Lord plus your good works. It doesn't say it's in Christ Jesus our Lord plus the sacraments of the church plus the best blessings of the Pope plus rosaries plus um, dying in holy jihad or whatever. You know, it doesn't say any of those things. It says the wages of sin is death. What you and I deserve is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Jesus paid the price that you and I should pay, that you and I were supposed to pay, and in fact, really, you still can pay it. I don't know if you realize that, but you and I still can pay for our own sin. But to do so means we pay for it eternally separated and damned in a place called hell. But you see, Jesus became our substitutionary atonement. He gave his life as the only means of reconciliation. That's what it comes down to. Do you know this Jesus born of a virgin? This Jesus that lived a sinless life? This Jesus that taught as no one else taught? This Jesus that gave his life willfully, willingly, and that rose himself again with victory over sin and death? That's the Bible Jesus. That's the biblical Jesus. That's the Jesus the Bible declares. That's the way of salvation that is given forth in the scriptures. And that is, my friends, what separates the Bible from every other so-called religious book. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast of Contenders Radio with Pastor Kevin Inman. For more information on this or other broadcasts, please log on to our website, contendersradio.com. That's contendersradio.com. You can also find us on the web at kevininman.org. That's kevininman.org. There you will find podcast episodes, blog posts, study helps, and more. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks again for listening. And may God bless you in your pursuit of the truth.